Okay. Hello, dudes, duders, dudettes, and everyone in between. Welcome to the Hollywood Fishbowl. I am your host, Jesse Kester, and today I am joined by Mariko, who helped produce this... What am I saying? Helped you exclusively produce this? <laughs> I was, yeah, you make it sound like I like assisted yes. in the background. You did some photocopies <laughs> for me. <laughs> like, it's like... In- Helped intern. <laughs> there, there is no Mad Macro series of Little Tokyo without without you. You you orchestrated this whole thing, and I can't I can't say thank you enough. Um, here we are in episode two of our what is actually a nine part uh, big series in Little Tokyo. That's what we were calling it last yes. episode um, series. And today we are talking to another not historian, but and I don't want to say historical figure because that <laughs> makes it sound like. Anyway, Carol Tanita. <laughs> yes, Carol Tanita, the current um, general manager and acting, uh, I would say acting owner um, of Rafu Busan. Uh, she is, so Rafu Busan, the reason that we included this and we kind of wanted to follow Carol right after Mike is because Rafu Busan is considered to be a legacy business. I will not define legacy business because Carol does it for us in this oh, episode. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> um, but basically- That's co- called a tease in radio. So. <laughs> Um, basically, uh, there are a number of what we call legacy businesses in Little Tokyo, these businesses that have been around for a long time. And uh, we wanted to talk about uh, what legacy businesses are and what do they represent in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I think Carol does a lot more justice to the term than I'll ever be able to, um, especially as someone who's been, what did she say? I've, I don't know if I'm right to talk about it because I've only been working at this business for, what, 39 yeah, years yeah, or something yeah. like that? <laughs> And I was like, oh, that's longer than I've been alive. So I think uh, you're definitely... You're qualified. (laughs) Um, But I... Wasn't she the sweetest? She... Okay. Um, Yes and also no. And I'll explain why. (laughs) Because absolutely, yes, she was just an incredible interviewee. Um, Again, I'm going to talk about every episode that came before hers and this is, we're in LA. Mm-hmm. And most of the people we talk to are in the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. And good luck shutting them up about what they do and what they're <laughs> building and who they are and why you should be checking out their work. <laughs> Carol, on the other hand, came with uh, m- more humility than our average guest, I would say. <laughs> so I will just say that there's a moment during this podcast episode where... Um, the wonderful Carol Tanita floors Jesse with her intimate knowledge of the something, movie series. Something special. Mum's the word because this is a big one, and, and uh, it's it's appropriately celebrated when we finally get to that moment. Yes, this this was uh, I was giddy the whole conversation. Um, this is uh, this is the current record holder for fastest dive into the fishbowl. I think it was twenty five minutes into the conversation. Mm-hmm. She her answers are so short, and she gives me so little to do follow up questioning. Like she's just so direct and concise and humble about everything. Yeah, she's very humble. Um, that we we had to dive into the fishbowl, but still, it's there's there's some really good moments in this one. I Aww. think jokes was one of how. <laughs> so just get ready for that. We don't want to spoil that one, but. 
Um, I'll definitely just say that one of the things that I think is also um, one thing that I love about Carol Tanita, and I actually had never met her before this podcast episode. Ooh. I knew of her, but we never actually talked, even mm-hmm. though I'd like seen her in lots of community events. And um, she at the very end, what did she say? She said, my favorite part of the day is when my customers hug me and say thank you. Yes, yes. And I was like, I never get a hug when I go to Target. <laughs> so <laughs> this is why we care about our small businesses yes. and our longtime community members. And I think that kind of summed up why we have to really make sure we we do them justice by like carrying their legacy on yes. through opportunities like this. And you need not spend more than one week hanging out in Little Tokyo to understand the feeling of a small community that's built on small businesses that all know each other, that all work together with the community. Not just businesses, there's plenty of nonprofit action going on in, in Little Tokyo. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it does not take long to settle into that feeling. And to, to by the time we did this interview, we're, we're releasing episodes out of the order that we recorded in them. By the time I interviewed Carol, I was 100% sold on your, your wacky idea of uh, community is worth preserving. <laughs> Thank you. I won one. You Yay. did. You. It only took weeks and weeks and weeks of work for you, <laughs> giving me a pop-up studio and producing this whole series. But right. now it'll be amplified across the entire that's, internet. <laughs> that's the idea. Is that's that's the thing. Yeah. All right, I, I was about to ding it so that we could get on to the next one, but there is no ding. So without further ado, I give to you, Carol Tanita. Drops. Morpheus is fighting Neo! Hello and welcome to the Hollywood Fishbowl. My name is Jesse and I am your host. Today, I am joined by the one, the only, the very illustrious... Carol Tanita. Carol, welcome to the program. How are you? Fine, thank you. Thank you so much for joining. I can't, I can't thank you enough for coming on. The music is almost done and then we will kind of ease down a little bit. It's coming up. And Morpheus is done fighting Neo. Welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. I do appreciate it. Um, how we like to start off the show is a little something that we call five and five. And what I'm going to do is ask you five questions, and you'll have one minute to answer each question, and we have a little beeping machine that will tell you when your time is up. Is that okay? Fine. All right. Let's get right into it. Um, here we go for five and five. Those are the beeps. Question number one, where did you grow up and how did that affect your adulthood? I grew up in Boyle Heights, um, East, East L.A., and um, I believe it shaped me to understand different cultures other than the Japanese culture, and um, it, was, it was a great experience. We had a lot of Hispanic neighbors as well as Japanese mm-hmm. um, and Japanese-Americans. What are are both of your parents Japanese and are you Nisei, Issei? I'm Sansei. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean for people who don't know what Issei, Nisei, Sansei is? Well, Issei, who um, were my grandparents, they were immigrated from Japan and settled in the United States. Um, and then my parents, actually, they're Kibe Nisei. So they were born in California, Los Angeles, and then they... Um, I'm going to pause and let you finish that sentence. And then they 
um, were educated or sent back to Japan to get mm-hmm. educated formally, and then they came back to the United States. Ah, okay, okay, beautiful. Next question. Question number two. What is the must-engage media, the book, the album, the movie that opened up the secrets of the universe to your brain? For me, it would be Sayonara. That was the one with Glenn Ford and mm-hmm. um, I can't remember the Takamiko. Uh-huh. And it was... It, it's a really old movie, and it was about a military man, a military soldier who fell in love with a girl from Japan. An American soldier? Okay, when did this come out? In the 60s. I know the title. I have heard it. 1960s. And I think it's even possible that I've seen it. We were doing Could like be. a... It's a tearjerker. I, I'm not much of a crier. I'll have to check it out and get back to you on that one. <laughs> But I think, I think we saw, we were doing a, a series of, of America and Japan. I'd love to talk about this more, but we got to move on. That's why we have a rest of the show. What is the greatest source of joy in your life? The greatest source of joy are my children and my new one-year-old granddaughter. Congratulations. Thank How you. many kids do you have? I have uh, a daughter who is 33 and my son is 30. All right. And what can I ask the name of the, the new one? Her name is Mia. Mia. Beautiful name. Beautiful. Congratulations. Thank you. Would you like to forfeit the remaining 30 seconds? I feel like you got through sure. that one. All right. Let's move on. Uh, question number four. Number four, I believe. What gets under your skin? What gets under my skin is when people are not considerate of other people's feelings. Do you want me to elaborate? Please, please. Um, when, they're, when they don't um, check on facts and they listen to other people's gossip um, and when they talk bad about people who really don't deserve to be talked bad about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel, I wonder what the, the, the genetic curiosity is for gossip, why people love it so much when it's so fundamentally kind of useless. Like there's no practical application of gossip in Agreed. in our day-to-day life, but people love it. They're an insatiable hunger. Forfeit the 10 seconds? Yep. All right. Let's get to the last one. Question number five coming up. And can I get you to scoot forward just a little bit? As much as we can keep you on mic, you'll sound that much better. How would you describe Little Tokyo to somebody who's never been here? I would describe Little Tokyo as a booming multicultural area, emphasizing on the Japanese culture, the food, um, the arts, um, the history, and also including the next generation of new entrepreneurs and people who visit. And um, it's just a happening place. All right. I'm gonna, I'm, uh, we're good? Let's end five and five. You uh, Beautifully done. There- Sorry. I feel like really stupid. Wait, why? If you're able to I do a minute... I a 60-year-old woman to say it's a happening place. <laughs> <laughs> you're with it. You're with it. <laughs> 
Um, let's slow things down. Let's back things up. Let's let's ease off the throttle. Is that okay, okay with you? Sure. Um, one thing I want to announce is somewhere along the line of this interview, I will ask a question that I have been dying to ask somebody my entire life, and it will be a momentous occasion on the Hollywood Fishbowl, and uh, we will know it when we get there. But let's let's get back let's get back to Boyle Heights in East LA and growing up to two Japanese parents who were. Raised in America and then went back to Japan to... Born in the United States, uh, one in San Diego and one in Los Angeles. Both returned to Japan to be educated. Uh, My father came back before high school, so he was interned at Heart Mountain. And my mother came back after camp. um, And um, they met through an arranged marriage um, in 1950... I think it was 1956. You put up air quotes about the arranged marriage. Like how how arranged was it? Did they have any involvement, or was it strictly um, kind of political between two families? What? No, it wasn't political. I think their friends of friends or family friends kind of introduced them, mm-hmm. and um, they got married in three months after they met. Just like it, it was the appropriate thing to do. I'm trying to. I think maybe mutual need. Okay. Probably. What What year is this? When that would have been about 1956. I okay. Believe. Okay. So they go back to Japan and they go to. They're going to college at that point, or elementary. Uh, they they okay. They so were this born is here. This so is early when they go back to Japan two in their years lives. Old, about two years old or five years okay, old. Okay. 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 And then when do, do they meet in Japan or meet over here? They met over here okay. after camp. Got it. Got, mm-hmm. And after camp is not. What What is? What do you mean by after camp? After Heart Mountain, after the concentration camps. Okay, I didn't want to. I, I didn't want to mm-hmm. guess which camps you were talking Heart about. Mountain, yeah, yeah, yeah. Heart yeah, yeah. So they got back in time to be in the concentration camps, and then my they met- father uh, came back right before high school, so he was interned in Heart Mountain. Mm-hmm. My mother stayed in Japan till after the war. Got it. Mm-hmm. Got it. Got it. So they he gets out of Heart Mountain. He meets your mother. Uh, they make you, and this is where the real story begins for this interview. Uh, you're growing up in East LA. Mm-hmm. When when do you get involved in in Nafu Busan? That's kind of where we're headed. Well, um, I was determined to work my way through, work my th- way through from high school to go to college, and my parents had told me that if I wanted to go to a private university, I had to work. So I decided I wanted to go to USC. I got accepted. So I started working at Rafu Busan from about 15 or 16 years old. And I worked my way through almost full time, Mm -hmm. Uh, got my master's there. And right around that time, the manager um, left the business and they asked me if I would like to uh, stay on. So I forfeited a, a, a future in teaching. And since my minor was bilingual Japanese education, I figured I could probably keep up um, my Japanese by working at the store. Do you ever look back and wonder if teaching, like if that calling, how that would have played out, how it would have, well, what I your life would come be from like? a family of teachers. Mm-hmm. And I know they all love teaching, probably 
the latter years, it was a lot more frustrating because there was more paperwork involved. Um, my younger son has autism. And so I think that education background really helped me do advocacy work. Mm -hmm. um, and so I do help a lot of immigrant families um, in my spare time um, try to get services, especially community support services, so they become independent. Yeah. How, how, uh, what, what was the experience of raising an autistic child for you? Like, it was a challenge. Um, but Nicholas, um, I always try to give him an inclusive environment. Mm -hmm. So even if he had special education classes in the morning, I always made sure to take him back to regular education classes in the afternoon. Yeah. So, um, Boy Scouts, um, sports, um, Aikido. It's always with, with, um, it's not a, a segregated or special, uh, class. It's all with everybody. Now, this is not the, the focus or the purpose of this interview, but we, I feel like you're a resource and I'd like to ask a quick question and then we'll, we'll move on from it. But what, what, Kind of miss like what? What are the common misunderstandings about autism that you see as a parent and as as somebody who's with, with a background in teaching and with a what? What are what are common misunderstandings? What should we know better and do better? Well, there's quite a bit, but um, uh, like my son, um, kids who who have autism. I mean, there's, it's a spectrum yeah, disorder, yeah, right? Yeah. So, but they are very, very teachable. I think they have to be shown more than book learned mm -hmm. sometimes. And if you set an example for them, they follow. So. Okay. That's beautiful. <laughs> if, it's just, if, if you're involved in advocacy and have first hand experience, I don't want to miss out on that opportunity to learn a little something mm -hmm. that I might not know. Um, I'd like to back up a little bit. One thought on my mind is uh, your, your parents come from a very different background than the average person that I talk to on a day to day basis on and off the program. Mm -hmm. um, not many people that I know have spent time in a camp. And not many people I know were in a, a, an arranged marriage. Not many people I know were born outside of the country that they grew up in. What, what of those values did they pass on to you as you were growing up? What, how did that influence their parenting, if you can, and your childing? How did well, that? All I remember is my parents always told me to work really hard, mm -hmm. study hard, do my best. They, they insisted that I not speak English at home and mm -hmm. that English was for the American school. Yeah. So um, I think that kind of helped me make, retain a lot of the Japanese I learned. Mm -hmm. um, but they also forced me to go to Japanese language school, uh, the Buddhist temple. And I did a lot of Japanese cultural hobbies like abacus, Japanese flower arrangement. You're making me smile because the dry cleaner in my neighborhood in Tokyo, he used an abacus when he would do oh, up the yeah, tallies. Yeah. It made me so happy to see that. How's your kanji? Do you write a lot? Kanji, I have And this to, is not a I don't test. use a lot. I don't use a lot right mm -hmm. now, especially at the store. 
Um, however, I know how to write my name. Yeah. I can read some basic kanji. I'm more a hiragana and katakana yeah, kind of person. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. No, I remember when I was living there, I was studying, and I felt like so proud when I got to a third grade reading level with kanji. It's, But then it doesn't sound like much of a brag if you go out to the bar and you're like, yo, guys, I can read at a third grade level already. Nobody's <laughs> impressed. <laughs> Um, let's get back to that, to the Rafu Busan. Uh, can you, what, what, what is that? Rafu Busan is, um, literally the name means, Rafu is Los Angeles or slang for Los Angeles, but Busan means emporium, mm -hmm. mercantile, and that's what it is. We have a little bit of everything. Um, they started off. Um, before my bosses, the Kawaratanis, uh, took it over in 1958, prior to that, um, the original owners were peddlers. And mm -hmm. it was Rafu Busan at that time. And they sold it to family encampments or clans of families that were living all over, anywhere from Oxnard all the way down to San Diego. And they were supplying all the staples that they lost or could not get readily after camp. Yeah. And when you say peddlers, you mean they were a traveling salesmen? Traveling kind of? salesmen. And they okay. had the supplies, rice, yeah. chopsticks, tea, yeah. rice bowls, miso soup bowls, that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, because it's a, it's a kind of a hard it's reset on yes, life after stables, the encampment yeah. ends. Everybody's kind of back to, back to one, back to the start. When does it get a, a physical location? If it starts out as a mobile shop, when do they? When does it become brick and mortar? Uh, they became uh, in well, I don't know the original date of the owners, but my bosses took it over in 1958. But it was probably it started off on First Street, right at the <laughs> mouth of the village where the Japanese village. Is now. Okay, right across the street from here, yeah. So, um, and it was at least maybe in the 40s and 50s. Okay. Um, so they had a brick and mortar, mm -hmm. and then the Kawaratanis took it over in 1958, and we were there for about 28 years until redevelopment. Then we relocated to 326 East 2nd Street that used to be the Japanese movie theater, Shotokyo Movie Theater. Okay. So I was leafing through uh, Mike Murase's book, The Collection of All Those Photos, and I was just thinking about like how, how bad would I want to go to see a movie at the Fujikan or at those, those old movie houses? And everyone is so dressed up in the pictures. Like it was a night out. Yes. Sunday best. You are working there before the relocation? Yes. Okay. I started in 1973. Okay. And how long were you working there when it when it moved? Um, well, 1973, we moved in 78. We transitioned from two stores to the one. Um, so I was there from 73. We moved in the years 1978, 79. And then we opened up full-time on Second Street since then. Mm -hmm. What what precipitated the move? Was it redevelopment? What can can we talk about? Like, what did that look like? Was it a mandatory move by how how did how does how does redevelopment work at that point? 
Well, do they just tell you like get out and sort yourselves they, out? Or yeah, I mean, th- my boss knew that it was coming, mm-hmm. um, and that a l- lot of the alley there used to be Moline Alley, mm-hmm. uh, about three structures over. So quite a bit of the businesses had to move out. In back of us was railroad tracks and a open dirt lot, and then it opened up to Second Street. Yeah. So. So when you move, like how, what, what is that process like? It was a lot of work because we had to, <laughs> we leased Show Tokyo, Show Tokyo movie theater mm-hmm. and they had to floor it. Were you going to the movies a lot as a kid? I did. Was that a thing I to did. do? What, what were you well, watching we were at the point? we were required to when we went to Japanese school to go see Japanese language movies. Really? Which one? Any good ones? What did you? Oh my, I think... I don't remember <laughs> the titles in Japanese, yeah. but they made us see Tora, 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 um, uh, sh- I, you know, I'm sorry. I don't remember. That's okay. This is not, this is not a test. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're allowed to not remember the movies you saw <laughs> for class in college. So you relocate. Is it, How's the how's the community taking it when they when the city mandates that kind of that kind of shutdown and shift and well, shake up? Um, a lot of people had to either relocate or they closed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a big change, but it came at a time. I think it was in the seventies. Business was pretty good in Little Tokyo, um, at least for Rafubusan. It was. And at this um, point, you had moved beyond rice, chopsticks, oh, and yeah, bowls. Like, what, yeah. what, what, what um, did it grow into by our, then? Uh, Mr. Kauratani was importing from Japan containers of porcelain ware, high-end art, artifacts, glass doll cases, a lot of dolls, um, very high-end things to make it unique. Um, so that it wasn't the same as some of the other gift shops because yeah. he definitely did not want to make it touristy. Yeah, that's really like it. One of the things I'm getting a perspective of in these conversations, and uh, it's gonna it's gonna make me want to do more historical perspective podcasts, is is learning how how incredibly things can evolve over two decades or three decades from from what started out as the most practical peddling rice to people who had just moved out of concentration camps to luxury goods to to the to more exquisite items mm-hmm. it's just wild like you you land in a place and you see it the day it exists and you assume well that's what it is that's what it was that's what it will be for as long as it is that thing it's good to get a little a little perspective well, and in the 70s that's when the first initial boom for sushi mm-hmm. was and so we were doing a humongous amount of restaurant business and hotel business that was serving Japanese breakfasts yep. and also uh, Japanese food. Okay. One of the things, one of the threads that's emerging from this series is uh, a foot firmly planted in the world of activism. It seems that everybody who's a member of the Little Tokyo community has uh, has some not just an opinion, but an, an investment in the preservation of of the well-being of the neighborhood. Where were you at in the 70s? Were you a part of all that? Were you... I was definitely not, like, 
visual communications or Ghidra, um, I was just trying to get through college Mm -hmm. and pay off my loans and also still try to work full time um, doing that. So it was kind of hard to fit everything. Yeah. So don't worry. Don't worry. (laughs) No, no pressure there. Um, can I ask the question? Sure. Here it is. Hold on. Let me get my, my sound effect ready. So I just got to ask, what was your involvement in the film, The Matrix? Well, I wasn't in the I've been the waiting Matrix. my whole life to ask. I was not in The Matrix. That's okay, but you were... But Warner Brothers, we have a lot of movie studios that we work with. Yeah. Warner Brothers... Um, at that time was one of our biggest customers. Mm -hmm. So they would always buy set things that looked modern Asian that kind of fit in with that, that the set. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Time, that time, future time kind of, was it dark, dark Japanese? I don't know if it's ninja, the ninja look or zen kind look. Kind of like, yeah, techno, techno-noir, techno, neo-noir, techno-zen. Yes. techno-zen. So um, so we got to be very friendly with the set decorators as well as the people who do the PR and um, a lot of the higher-ups. Mm-hmm. So. What, 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 was your, what did you work on on those films? Like, is, is there any stuff that, you, that they bought from you that you can see on screen and recognize as a... That, that's a, a Rafu Busan purchase. Um, you know, it, that movie went so fast. Even if I'm trying to look for it, it may have been in the background. But, you know, a lot of it was very simple, lined, very modern porcelain yeah. ware. It could be a lacquer tray. Um, I'm going to go watch all three of those films looking for any and every lacquered tray. I mean, every movie that we help with or supply, it's like, where's our stuff? Which are are some of the other ones that that you were involved in? Um, The thing is, you don't know me, so you don't know that I am maybe the biggest Matrix fan in the planet at this point. So when you mentioned that, my head almost blasted off my body. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that I was able to keep it together for the first half of this interview. And we're just talking the Matrix from now on. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. That's not true at all. Um, I, got, I got a little note before the interview that, that uh, Rafu Busan was, was the, the wedding registry of choice in Little Tokyo. Is the, I, I would think so because we probably have the largest collection of tabletop as as well as rice cookers, kitchenware, we have probably 60, 70 different knives. Mm-hmm. Um, are those like the handmade? Uh, some of them. Some of them are. Uh, the rest of them are uh, particular to one brand that's huge in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have, I mean, everything uh, that you could use if you're doing a Japanese tabletop. So being at the the hub of that, like you kind of get to know every family Pretty after, much. over time. Pretty much. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you want to jump into the fishbowl, see what happens? Uh-oh. Oh, uh, I might pick one of mine. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, do not forget. Please, please, please do not forget uh, that you are allowed to, to ding out at 
at any point. So is that including this? Yeah, absolutely. Do you want me to read this? What, 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 what? Who is, was your greatest influence? Who, yeah, who is your influence? Who did you look to for ideas on how to, how to be and how to live? I would say it would be my parents. Okay. As strict as they were, they were very, very strict. Um, I think it was their Japanese way of thinking how we should be, how we should act. But um, they were also very frugal, but yet um, they, they, they left their legacy was to leave their fortune to us and part of that fortune is the way they took care of our family um i I, they taught me to treat other people the way i want to be treated and uh, i just try to live by that as much as i can Mm -hmm. um so that's beautiful that's so sweet this, you're doing fantastic. You're doing fine. I, I got a question about about uh, Rafu Busan. Is there a short version to say that? Do you guys call it Busan or Rafu around the office? We just call it Rafu Busan. Okay. Because there's several entities that start with Rafu, mm-hmm. including the newspaper, the other shoten. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, do you yourself consider... Rafu Busan to be a legacy business. Oh, like, yes, definitely. Okay. How, what does that mean to you? Um, I consider Rafu Busan a legacy business in that people have bought from their great-grandparents' time things um, that they treasure or think that is important in a Japanese family, mm-hmm. but those things are also passed on from generation to generation. And um, my boss bosses, uh, Mr. Kawaratani passed away in 2014, but Mrs. Kawaratani believes that we perpetuate the culture through our craftsmanship and our wares. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's part of the legacy is to continue that understanding through our our material artwork or the yeah. the concrete artifacts what what do you hope for your legacy to be that's a, it's it's a beautiful and succinct definition of the of the businesses but just person to person what are you hoping to leave on this earth what am i hoping to leave on this earth um i, I guess i I just hope that when I've helped people over the years that they remember what I tried to teach them mm-hmm. as far as what what they purchased and that they treasure it and that it's important for them to intri- intrinsically incorporate it in their in their heart and that um that they remember that I didn't want to just sell them something. Yeah, yeah. So. You're doing fine. You're doing fine. You seem worried. You're fine. Let's see what's next. It's my turn to pull. So usually what we do is alternate the polls that I'll grab one, then you'll grab one. 
Oh, what's a movie that you must watch at least once a year? Thank you, Darren Maki, for that question. For me or for you? For all for you. For me? Yeah. Oh, once a year? Ooh. Um, I cannot remember the name of it. Um, but it was with Cary Grant and Deborah Car- and Affair to Remember. Ooh, nice poll. That was my favorite. Because once a year, I want to have a really good romantic cry. (laughs) (laughs) Your turn. Perfect answer. Beautiful. Beautifully said. Okay. Would you prefer to cast or co-star with Jesse and Matt or Mel Gibson and Johnny Depp? All right, so if you had your druthers, if you were going to star in a movie, would you rather act in a film with me and my flatmate, or would you rather act with, who is it, Mel Gibson and Johnny Depp? Who would you rather be starring with? I think I'd rather be with Jesse and Matt. Okay. You, you and Matt. Okay. That's... You seem more down to earth. <laughs> <laughs> no ego problems. <laughs> Perfect answer. Is that your, your turn? My your turn. turn. My turn. All right. I'm vetoing that one straight away. (laughs) And that one too. The one I vetoed is uh, stab him, stab him, stab him, stab him, stab him, stab him, stab him. So we're going to skip over that one. If it's all the same, I'd rather not stab you. somebody from Little Tokyo? (laughs) No, 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 no. That's from ages ago. Um, Oh, if they were making a movie about your life, who would play your mother and who would play your father? Who would play my mother would be Taka, no, Miyuki, Miyoshi Umeki. Mm-hmm. Um, because my mom was um, outspoken but kind of demure and shy. And she was also in Sayonara. And, Your mother um, or Miyoshi? Miyoshi. Okay. Miyoshi Umeki. And my father would be like a Toshiro Mifune type. Yes, he would. That's a perfect answer. Because Mifune, Matrix Revolutions and Reloaded, Ah, there's a character named after that actor. (laughs) Where's my my sound effect? I should be going beer, beer, beer on the horn. Oh, I'm sorry. Wait, is it my turn or your turn? I think it's my turn. Yes, 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 yes. What is your favorite pizza place? Why? And can you email it to me, Scott, at oshima.com? Scott. Scott was our afternoon interviewee today. And he's he's looking for some good pizza. Where would you tell Scott to go for pizza? And we'll we'll email it. Does it have to be down here? It can be anywhere on planet Earth. Well, my favorite place is Aloha Pizza in Gardena on Artesia Boulevard. All right. It's excellent. And their shave ice is to die for. All right. There it is. Scott, get down to Aloha Pizza. Pizza. You will not regret it. Excellent. Perfect answer. You are killing it. This is good. Uh, Jokes. You know any good jokes? Not that I can say on public radio. (laughs)
I hang out with dojo guys, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, yes? I do Aikido. Wait, you do Aikido? Well, I retired from Aikido, but I'm still active in the dojo. How long were you doing Aikido? 12 to 13 years. Now, okay, follow-up question. What is Aikido? Aikido, to me, is the truest sense of martial arts, and you learn how to deter your aggressor. You, we never mm-hmm. attack. Yes. We learn to receive through their chi yes. or energy to deter them. What what pulled you to that? Why? Well, what are you doing with all these rough and tumble fellas who tell dirty jokes all the time? Amazingly, my son was at a Buddhist uh, summer camp when he was younger, around eight or nine years old. And my cousin, who is a black belt, a senior black belt, and Reverend Kensho Furuya, who was our uh, senior, who was our instructor, chief instructor, was doing a free demonstration to the kids. And because my son has autism, team sports doesn't quite work. And we try basketball and a lot of others. But he keyed in on the Aikido. and And he said on his own, he wanted to do that. And he's been doing it for 15 years now. That's awesome. And since I had to take him and he moved up later on to adult class, I thought, I wonder if I could do that. And I loved it. It's actually the best form. Megan, you may disagree with me, but I think it's the best form of martial arts for females as well. Megan, fire takes. What do you say? No, it's not. No, she's karate. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what was the question? Jokes. Jokes. Okay. But no, we're not going to say any of them. No, no jokes. Your turn, please. <laughs> My turn. I don't know any dirty jokes. Even if you asked me, I couldn't possibly say one. How do you deal with jealousy? Well, how do I deal with jealousy? Um, I usually ignore it. Okay. Or I'll ask the person, what are you jealous for? I mean, ah. I will go up to them and say, what's your problem? Or why are you jealous? Do you do you get jealous or not really? Are you Not Really? I mean... that I feel like that, that kind of is like the mark of somebody who's very comfortable in their own skin is like if, if you are calm and comfortable and happy being you, jealousy doesn't strike that aggressively over time. No. I mean, I've had problems um, in junior high and high school, but I don't know if it was jealousy on the other person's part because... Mm-hmm. I never understood why they were egging my house or Okay, so we ha- we have got there are follow up questions yeah. to that. What what is the story behind this one? Well it was what do you the suppose it could have been? Mm-hmm. No, they said it was gossip that somebody said something that I said something wrong. Mm-hmm. So I just nipped it in the bud and I got that person in front of everybody and I said What did I say that you said? About that, I said about that person, yeah. and that other person denied it in front of everybody. So, problem. But yet those people were so upset without even asking me. They egged my house and teepeed it. I'm so sorry. That was, you know, junior high, high school, and well, after that, everybody just trotted right back on 
my side. Okay, I got to give you fair warning. My my flatmate Matt, he was a bit of a wild child growing up. He was doing the egging and doing the toilet papering. Do you still want to make a movie with me sure. and him? Okay. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you so much. Let's see what's next. Um <laughs> Was that my question? That was uh what was the sexiest thing you've had to do on set? Which we can skip. Yeah. We can, oh, oh. What kind of items does Rafu Busan carry? We carry everything that's made in Japan. About 95% of it is from Japan. Mm-hmm. And it's all Japanese dinnerware. We have origami. We have dolls, glass cases, vases, sake sets, electronics as far as housewares like yeah, rice yeah. cookers water boilers the water boilers i need to get one of those and now i know where to get one Thank of those you. so i you might see me at, are you at the store like almost every day or are you mostly almost hands off now day. okay okay so i will see you if i come in to get a, a what, what are the prices on those if i may ask it's a For, lot because there's two levels we mm-hmm. only carry the ones that are made in japan yeah, so yeah, yeah. they're significantly much pricier than the ones from China. But what are we looking at? Like a couple hundred? hundred? Yeah, okay. Plus. Like 300, 400 around there? Oh, no, not that much. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, beautiful, beautiful. That's all I need to know. You'll, you'll, you'll be seeing me around as soon as I get my next, my next paycheck <laughs> in. Your turn, please. I think it's... Oh, is it my oh, turn? Uh, well, yeah, no, I just asked you your question. What, what do you carry? Is that another one of yours? Yeah. What? You can ding sure. out. Okay. You can skip Says, it. How many times have you visited Little Tokyo in the last year? Like I'm once here a day. day. Three hundred sixty-five and a quarter, maybe. <laughs> Let's see what else have we got. Do you know the song "Kiss from a Rose" by Seal? Yes, I is, do. The follow-up question: Is "Kiss from a Rose" the best song of all time? No, it's not. Fire takes on the Hollywood fishbowl. <laughs> Two questions. Is that your favorite song? No, 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 it's not. I don't, these aren't my questions. Oh, these are, okay. uh, this was from Kate Faust, and I don't know if she thinks it is or isn't. We just know that this is the oh, question okay. that she would like to ask. Uh, why is Kiss from a Rose not the greatest song in your opinion? And what is the greatest song in your opinion? Why is it not? Where does it fall short? Where does it fall short? It seems to have everything that a song listener could ask I for. I suppose, but it's... Probably not my taste. Okay. What is your taste? What is... What is my taste? I like... I like soft... Soft pop. Okay. Like, we've only just begun. Okay, okay. I have terrible news for you. Our biggest fan is Seal. Great. (laughs) You still feeling good on your answer? I'm just being honest. (laughs) He does not listen to the show. I would be very surprised. Maybe he does. I don't know. I'm just... Your turn. How's your heart? And we can talk... We can talk... We can talk... uh, We can talk literally or we can talk metaphorically. How's your heart? My heart is healthy. Excellent. And emotionally, it's... It's there. It's fine. Okay. A, a fair answer. <laughs> Let's see what we got. Let's try it. I think that was another Kate Fowles question. She put like 20 questions in the day she was I on. I KF was Kristen Fukushima. Ah. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. I hope 
Kristen Fukushima pulls a Kate Faust question and wonders if it is her own question because of the initials. You're stuck on a deserted island. Three items allowed. Which movie, which book, and which song? I'm guessing Kiss from a Rose is not going to be the song. Okay, so what was it? Which this book? This is kind of similar. Yeah, book, movie, and song. I think you talked about your movie already. Mm-hmm. I think you just talked about your song. Let's go for the, the book. What would you be rereading every chance you got? Um, gosh, I have a lot of favorite books. Um, hmm. Let's see. It would have to be. This is so off the. My favorite book was by Sh- Shara Tom Shara, and it was. It's a historical book. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was called Gettysburg. It was. It was about the Civil War from the perspective of the, all the military and the colonels. What spoke to you about it? Well, I had to read it because my um, daughter was taking U.S. history and she couldn't, um, I mean, she had to read it, I had to read it, but I really got into it and I had to go with them to to the East Coast, mm-hmm. um, right around where Gettysburg and Eric, so I thought, this is a neat book and they made a movie out of it yep. also. Okay, I don't want to try to impress you with my movie insider information, but I grew up in Pennsylvania, and I knew people who were in that Gettysburg movie because they were local historians who had their own costumes, so the production was just calling up all the local historians, and my best friend's dad is one of the soldiers in the background of that film. How, On a scale of 1 to 10, how impressed are you? Eight. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Your turn. Is it your turn? Yes, it's your turn. Yes, we just did book. I should do the colored ones because I didn't write the colored ones. Do you believe aliens are real? If so, what do you think they would think of humanity? I do not believe that aliens are real. Mm -hmm. Um, But if they were, I would think that they would probably think that there's a few humans that should be put out of office okay no further questions i think i'm gonna go ahead and read between the lines on that one (laughs) do you know what would be awesome before we get into the next question is if aliens appeared on earth one day like if they actually just came down in their flying saucers do you know how like quickly we would realign all of our needle like how how quickly we would uh, have to rethink everything we ever thought maybe <laughs> I think it would be great I think it would be a very a very exciting time just be out to decimate us <laughs> I'd rather they didn't but it wouldn't be so bad I'm, I'm they not decimated us <laughs> I, I don't know it's I'm enjoying life but anyway let's move on let's not get too mired in that surviving Hollywood any tips on how to survive Hollywood? Hollywood, the city. Surviving Hollywood, yeah. I would make sure you're. Are we talking about the business or the city? To be quite honest, all the card set is surviving Hollywood, so we can talk about whatever aspect of that you'd prefer to well, talk if about. If I this was is... walking through Hollywood, I would <laughs> have studied would some Aikido. Not not walk around with a designer handbag, flashy jewelry. I would look homeless. 
But if we're surviving Hollywood as the business, yeah, I wouldn't trust anybody. Wow. I was just worried. Like, do you remember 30 seconds ago when I was worried about getting too too nihilistic on this podcast? Uh, that worry, the worries were unfounded. <laughs> Please pull one more, and then I think we can wind it down a little bit. You'll do one, and I'll do one, and then we'll call it a day. When was the last time someone told you that they love you? What does that say on the bottom? B. Because I love you. Oh, because I love you. KF. Oh. KF. Okay. She's really. Okay. She has integrated herself into this fishbowl. Hmm. When was the last time? Probably last week. Oh, okay. Did you feel it? I mean, when mm-hmm. there are people who say I love you, and, I, and you, sometimes you don't feel it, but. I, I mean, I I feel very fortunate because there's a lot of customers who they just hug me and they tell me that they love me, and that's like to me the greatest um, feeling that they appreciate the service that I gave them. Yeah, so that's lovely. That's so wonderful. I got a quick question before we round it down. Uh, the Rafu Busan is being brought into the 21st century with your Instagram account. Did you initiate this? Mm, I was curious about it, but because I'm technologically challenged, I had to get advice from, from Megan. The next generation? The next generation. How much How much are you overseeing of the, the social media feed of this? Is the business, it exists for a century? Less, less than a century, maybe 70 years now. I'm sorry, can you... I certainly can. Word that? Yes. How how involved are you in the the internet presence of this business? Like you you know it from the ground up as a as a brick and mortar. Well, right now, probably all of it, I suppose. Okay. You and think I'm about not even that good at it? But you are like you're maintaining a, an online presence for the thing. Well, and kinda... we haven't started our online business yet because we want to make our own niche mm-hmm. in there and. I would like to do it from a cultural aspect, but yet make it so that people will find other uses for our items. Um, But also, we're doing Facebook, we're doing Yelp, Instagram. I don't quite get Etsy or Pinterest quite yet, so. Okay. What do you think about it? Like, you've you've seen business, you've seen this, the, the, the... World of business evolve. Like, what are you? What are you looking forward to? Um, meeting new customers and getting their ideas of how to use our things mm-hmm. and incorporating it, um, you know, for future generations. But also, um, it's it's kind of scary because it goes so fast and things change. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I do notice that we're getting a different type of younger more hip, I guess the word is hip clientele, um, as, as opposed to maybe like my, my contemporaries, yeah. um, it would be my daughters and younger, that generation. Are you finding that there's room for new products, new product lines, new? Always. Oh, always. What kinds yes. of stuff are you landing on? Like what's the new? Well, there's always new trends in people eating mm-hmm. what they consider Japanese food so they're always making modifications you know of course 
the re- recycle is real popular right now. So even like chopsticks, we they're selling more like the lacquer. We have um, the hard plastic now, mm-hmm. and um, they have collapsible chopsticks that you can just pop into your briefcase or purse. So. We're moving along. That's awesome. That's so sweet. Let's do one more and then let's get you out of here. Is that okay? Sure. And you pull the last one. I think that's going to be a Kate Faust, is it? What are my biggest fears? That's a beautiful one to end on. Do you have fears? You seem so comfortable and kind of like, Um, like you know yourself well. What, what? Well, so what I'm wondering is biggest fears for my own self or for the future of Rafa Busan? Whatever, whatever you want to talk about. Um, let's do both. What, let's do well, Rafa Busan as first. Rafa Busan goes. My biggest fear is that rent, property values are going to go through the roof, so that it makes it really hard for small businesses like us to be able to maintain a brick and mortar. Yeah, um, and that we'll have to be forced to go only online or do pop ups. Yeah, and as far as for myself, um, I guess my biggest fear is that I'm not going to have my mind, like my sanity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as that's, I grow old, that's one that I think about too. That like I find so much comfort in thought, and so much comfort in the memories that I hold dear. If either of those two, when not if there's going to be a point when they start to fade. fade. Or, and there's a siren just to augment the anxiety that's bubbling on this topic. <laughs> but no, that's that's one that I feel deeply. I feel uh, uh, kind of like a new connection to you, knowing that that's the, a very shared fear that we both have. You seem to be doing okay. Keep it as long as you can. Yeah, I hope I hope it goes on for a lot longer. Let's let's wind it out. Are we good? Sure. All right, we're gonna do some goodbye music. Here we go. This has been the Hollywood Fishbowl, and I've been your host, Jesse Kester. I will continue to be Jesse Kester as long as I live. If you liked what you heard, you can find us on the internet at www.hollywoodfishbowl.com. If you're more at home on Instagram or Twitter, we are at HWFishbowl. But it is not about us. It is about our guest who has been involved in the production of The Matrix. If people liked what they heard, where can they find you and where can they learn more about Nafu Busan? Are you talking to me? <laughs> yes. <laughs> A website. Uh, what's, what's your Instagram it's handle? www.rafubusaninc.com. I-N-C? I-N-C. Okay. And what, do you know the Instagram handle? No. Is it Rafu Busan? L-A? I'm sorry. <laughs> Shout it out. She's my teacher. <laughs> R- yeah, so it's R-A-F-U-B-U-S-S-A-N. You got it in just under the wire. Thank you so much for coming by. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs>